Hey, good morning. Uh, good morning. Hey, my name is Jack. I'm Bethany Northeast lead pastor, and um, we're in the second week of a, a little short sermon series. We began last week. You'll see on the cover of your bulletin, it's called What Disciples Do. And this is in these weeks, we're looking at the kind of the, you could call them core competencies of disciples, things that if you're a follower of Jesus or you're kind of exploring what that looks like would be kind of inherent to that journey. Uh, last week, we looked at this idea that disciples gather. So we gather each Sunday, and this is just something that disciples, people who follow Jesus, have been doing for thousands of years, not only on Sundays, but in smaller communities as well. Uh, next week, we're going to look at this idea that disciples go. And so I've once said, or I've heard said that we're not settled, but we're sent. We're not people that are settlers as disciples, but we're people who are sent ones. And so Jesus, in all four of the Gospels, as well as in the book of Acts, reminds the disciples that you're, you're sent people. Go out. Don't stick where you are. So you're always on the move. Uh, so we'll look at that next week. This week, we're looking at this idea of growth and how it, we as disciples, as followers of Jesus, are looking to follow Jesus as a gathered community need to be about growing, uh, that we, Jesus says in John 15, will bear fruit. And that's a growth metaphor. We'll be people that are always growing. And so this morning, the thesis is simple. You can't be a disciple of Jesus unless you're also committed to growth. So we're going to unpack what that looks like here in a moment. We're going to use Ephesians chapter 4 as a lens through which to look. So if you have a Bible with you or if you have a phone, you can pull it up on your app. I'll assume the best that you're not checking scores or anything, texting. It's cool, but you can do that too. Uh, and let me take a moment to pray over this time together. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for uh, your word and that uh, it isn't just written to us, but it's in flesh, that you are the word made flesh. And so that as we even gather this morning and, and look into this word from Ephesians 4, we're experiencing you and uh, we're encountering uh, the grace that you brought to the earth and into our lives, the truth that speaks into our hearts and our community. So would you do that this morning uh, in increasing measure? Would you shape us to be your people as we leave? Would you transform us to impact the city in which we live and the homes in which we uh, lay our heads? Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, uh, Carol Dweck, have anybody, has anybody heard of Carol Dweck? I knew a couple psychologists in the room. She's a world-renowned Stanford psychologist, and so she wrote a book a few years ago called Mindset, in which she said that there's a, there's a fundamental difference in human thinking, and you could roughly divide humanity into two groups. And so in her research, she studies primarily studies children, and she, um, she found that raw talent and aptitude in her studies have relatively little to do uh, have, have relatively little to do with how, ch how far children will journey in life, how far they're going to get, and when they become adults, how successful they'll be. So she has a, a series of studies that you can read online, and she was surprised to find within her studies a subset of children who are not only able to tolerate failure, they put up with just not getting A's on their report cards, so not able to simply cope with it, but they actually relish the idea. So she had a couple, they, they love failure. <laughs> So she gave this one example I, I read this week and was reminded of. She gave this group of children this nearly impossible or a series of nearly impossible tests. Like, you can't solve these problems. And she noticed through her study that many of these kids were frustrated by that experience. Some just gave up. Some, um, you can watch these videos, just labored grimly on. Like, I can't give up. And then there was a subset, very small, that had a completely different response. So one 10-year-old boy. 
he was confronted with this nearly impossible puzzle. And he, in this video, he looks up at Carol, Dr. Dweck, and says, you know, I, I was hoping this would be, there would be something informative in this. Like, 10-year-old boy, I, that I was hoping I could learn something through this. This other one rubs his hands together. And he says, I love a challenge. <laughs> to which I said, something must be wrong with these children. Like, th who says that? Anyone, not just a 10-year-old, but like an adult. So this experience, and like others, she's, um, she's had later on this 20-year journey, which produced this really remarkable finding, which is this. How people respond to challenges and failures depends not on their abilities, but on their mindset. So how we, as people respond to challenges and failures, doesn't depend on your abilities, it depends on your mindset. In other words, she discovered that all human beings can be roughly grouped into these two mindset groups. Some people have a fixed mindset. Uh, they view qualities like intelligence, ability, all those things is, is carved in stone. Those are set. Therefore, as you go down that path, each task becomes a referendum on your ability. You know, this is going to define you at some level, uh, it, which means it's also an assessment of your worth in our culture. Do you actually measure up? And so failure is horrible in this mindset because it means that I'm just not made of the right stuff. Like, I just don't have it, right? Has anybody ever said that at any point in your life? I must, I just don't have it. I can't do it. Yeah, a few of you are honest enough to say that. Others in this study she's done have what's called a growth mindset. And this is based on the ability, or I mean on the, on the belief that your basic qualities can be grown over time through effort and a commitment to learning, okay? So you can grow, your, basically your, she did study that your brain can grow, as can your, your kind of your learning set and your, your, your ability set. So what Angela Duckworth, who's a colleague and a, a student of um, Dweck's calls grit, like we, have, we can develop grit and the ability to overcome challenges. So although other people may have higher IQs, better coordination, greater innate abilities than you do, more gifted and talented as we like to say, uh, through experience, effort, trying new things, even failing, you can grow. And this is not that some people uh, simply crave more risk than others. Like some people are just kind of masochists, like they love to die, uh, like die, you know, and those kinds of things. But that some people, uh, compared to others, have this belief that underlies their sense of identity. And that belief is if you believe that your qualities are, and abilities are carved in stone, uh, how you approach life and the challenges in life will, are kind of determined for you. you. You'll never quite add up. However, if you believe that growth is possible, that you can grow your brain, that you can grow your, your talent set, whatever that is, then you will face your days with a fundamentally different set of thoughts and emotions. That's what Dweck is saying. And so Dweck's insights have had a huge impact on how Elizabeth and I parent, how we, how I approach, we approach our, our work, our, our careers. And lately, how I've been thinking about faith. So it strikes me that this difference in mindset doesn't simply involve our view of ourselves and our abilities and our work and our intelligence, but that it has massive implications on how we view God and how we follow God and relate to God. So, for example, if there is no God, take that, that's your kind of belief, then our ultimate fate's really set in stone, right? Finitude, human fallibility, morality, entropy, they are all going to prevail at some point set in stone. But with God in the mix, think about this, every moment, the breath you just took becomes a different set of possibilities. And as Jesus once said, uh, 
All things are possible. All things are possible. Which is a mindset that possessed Joshua and Caleb, for example, to sort of look at these roadblocks that were facing the people of Israel, and they just, they're like, these are possibilities. Uh, a mindset that inspired Nehemiah, remember him, to build a wall, when all the people around him said, this is just a pile of rubble, let's just give up. Uh, a mindset that caused David to see an opponent too big to miss when everybody else saw an opponent, opponent too big to hit, right? Remember this with Goliath? A mindset that led Jesus to say, hey, I can carry and embrace the cross, not run away from it, right? Uh, and I would say, what's wrong with these people in the Bible that I read about every time I open the Bible? And what, what it is, is every day in our life together, we face challenges that are too big for our little abilities. All of us do. Uh, how can I say something new or significant in this sermon? Every week, I'm faced with that task before you. It's been said. <laughs> how can the vision of this little church be compelling to the city around us? We live in one of the most interesting and fastest growing cities in the United States. How can our little church be any difference in that? We're just a little church on a corner. <laughs> How, where will I find the resources uh, for my dreams? Where, how can I get a conflict to resolve with honesty and courage? Well, how will my children, when they leave the house today or, or graduate school, thrive in this world when it seems to be just broken beyond repair? Is my life adding up to anything at all? Or is this like the endless sort of uh, hamster wheel that I'm in? See, without God, every day as I leave the house for work, send my kids up to school, face a world full of political dysfunction, environmental catastrophe, social unrest, is dependent upon my little store of resources, our church's little ability to do things, my capacity, and it's ultimately a declaration of my inadequacy and insignificance. That's the, that's the fixed mindset. Here's the growth mindset. Maybe, just maybe, God's thrown me in over my head in the hopes that you and I, our church, we'll realize that our souls, like our bodies, are buoyant when the life of His Son fills them. We're buoyant. We've been given the buoyancy of Christ, you could say. And so which mindset do you possess today as you sit here? Like, do you believe that with God all things are possible? Or are you facing a challenge right now that just feels way too big to even take a step forward in? Think about that. And as we read the Bible and about the God of the Bible, we discover that the growth mindset is really, like I said, the only mindset consistent with a life of faith. It's the only mindset you can have when you want to walk with God. And so this morning, what I want to do with you is look at how we might cultivate that mindset if you're feeling challenged right now, how you might discover it if you've never really thought about this or strengthen it. Um, and we're going to do so through Ephesians chapter 4, one of Paul's letters to the early church, kind of what it teaches us about um, how we engage growth. And we're going to make three observations about growth, okay? And there's a... Pause. Blue Mercury. Blue Mercury what? Sable? <laughs> SUV? Don't even know. Blue Mercury blocking spots. I don't know. I don't memorize my license plate. So if you have and you have Blue Mercury AQR 9059, no shame. Pause and just take a moment. I know. It's okay. Actually, this is a good moment, public service announcement. As we enter into the fall, we will experience some parking pressures and challenges we haven't felt in the winter and in the spring and the summer because we're more full. So to be more mindful of our neighborhood and our um, community. But if you have a blue mercury and that sounds vaguely familiar, like that, <laughs> that's your license plate, then maybe you could step outside and just check that. And no shame at all, okay? So growth mindset. We're going to look at three observations about growth. What growth is? 
why it's important, and then how growth happens, okay? What it is, why it's important, how it happens. All kind of in Ephesians 4, so just have that open. And first, so let's look at what growth is. If you want to open to Ephesians 4, if you're not there, uh, I'll read in verses uh, 11. I'll start in verse 11 because it kind of gives the context for what Paul says in verse 12 and 13, but let me read these. And this is kind of what growth is. He says in verse 11, so Christ gave his, uh, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers, here's verse 12, to equip the people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up, and here's verse 13, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. There's a couple of key words in that phrase, especially verse 13 that Paul uses, uh, until we, and then attaining. Did you notice that? Those are growth words. And so growth is a mindset, but more than a mindset, we see it's a process. Until we, we're not there yet, attaining, kind of moving forward. And, and in those process words, what we, what we will discover is that growth is a lifelong, very difficult process. And so to help us understand what that means, consider the contrast that Paul offers here in Ephesians 4 uh, with attaining and growing, and then the metaphor of birth that's offered elsewhere in the Bible. So John 3, for example... Do you remember the story of this guy named Nicodemus? He comes to Jesus. He says, hey, I'm a Jewish leader. Um, I want to understand what it means. I see you doing all this amazing, miraculous work, and your teaching is powerful. Where do you receive this power to do those things, say these things? Remember what Jesus says to him in John 3, very bizarre. You, you must be born from above. You have to be born again. We see at the end zone of the football games every Sunday a born again, this idea of being a born-again Christian. So what Jesus is saying, he's saying that living inside the kingdom of God, experiencing God's power happens through rebirth. At some level, all of us, well, all of, all of you were born. I don't think any of you just kind of happened, right? Somebody's smiling like, maybe I don't know. But all of us were born, and, and what Jesus is saying is spiritual life begins with birth also. There's no exceptions. You have to, at some level, when you meet Christ, start over again. And so we're all born again in some way, okay? It's a prerequisite to the spiritual life. But birth, both physically as well as spiritually, presupposes growth. So you're not just born. This is like, Benjamin, what's the movie with uh, the guy goes backwards? Yeah, Benjamin Button. Yeah, this isn't that. You're like, we go forward. Like you're born and you're a baby, you're, you're a spiritual baby, and then you start moving forward. Uh, you can't have one without the other. This is why we're told right after Jesus' own birth in Luke 1, page or so later, this is right after his birth narrative, if you read Luke 1 sometime, that Jesus in, in Luke 2.52 increased in wisdom, stature, and in divine and human favor. He increased his whole life. He grew. I mean, think of that for a second. The God of the universe in a body, and yet he grew. Let's talk about that another time. But Jesus was in, born and then in, in grew physically, grew spiritually, this is why Eugene Peterson, I, at one point he writes about this, um, this contrast between these companion images. He says, for parents, this is a quote from one of his books, birth is marked by both joy and wonder and accompanied by like birth and gift announcements. We get in these or got these. Uh, the details are sparse. Usually it's like this, six pounds, 10 ounces, 21 inches, Veronica Ann, date of birth, May 6th. Beautiful picture, right? And we receive that with awe and reverence but that euphoria, Peterson says, only lasts a few weeks, and then it's gone. It's tucked away snugly in a photo album, re revisited now and then to stoke the fires of nostalgia. Here's growth. 
For those same parents, growth is marked by fatigue, anxiety, panicked late-night calls to the doctor, confused decisions regarding discipline, worried conferences with teachers, puzzling over adolescent behavior and misbehavior. Birth is quick and easy. I know that's another conversation. He wrote that. I didn't. (laughs) It seems that way to fathers. Mothers here have a different perspective. Growth for fathers and mothers, endless and complex. Birth, relatively quick and easy. Growth, endless and complex. It never stops. For that reason, the growth mindset is called, uh, as it's called, it must be more than just a mindset. Like, I love the stuff by Carol Dweck, and, but you can't just sheer effort your way to God. It's so hard. The life of growth in Christ, it's, it has to be a willingness to also learn in the midst of failure and from failure, as well as desire to say, God, what if I never succeeded this? What if I'm never healed? What if I never get an answer to that prayer? Uh, a life of growth is, is not just about wins and losses, X's and O's. It's about so much more than that. Uh, it must be a commitment to ongoing transformation through failure and pain and, and suffering sometimes. Karl Barth once said it this way. He has a little uh, commentary on the book of Philippians. He says, The way of our righteousness consists step by step in an ever-increasing apprehension. Each stage of the way at once also the goal. Each stage of the way at once also the goal. And then he goes on, he says, we become, we grow, we acquire, we appropriate, we become ever more devout, ever pure, ever sure. The process must go on. It never stops. That's growth. So God's vision for us is ongoing growth. Uh, yet growing, that doesn't just happen, it requires intentionality. It's the result of choices we make, um, priorities we choose. It's fueled by a yearning forevermore, as Paul says in Philippians 3, pressing on to know. I want to know Jesus, the power of his resurrection, if, if somehow, or the, power, the participation in his suffering, if, if somehow becoming like him in that, just ongoing transformation. So growth in our faith, this desire, commitment for transformation uh, is something that we, we have to be committed to. Uh, there's a great example of this in the life of David. Uh, you know his life. At once, this, this kid, like I already said, who kills the giant because he saw possibilities in it, and in, in, in years later, absolute utter failure. Probably a bigger failure than any of us could ever be. <laughs> like the, one of the biggest failures you can read about in the Bible. And yet in the midst of that, God, God calls him a man after his own heart. And do you know why that is? Why can David kills Goliath and then <laughs> kills Uriah? Be a man after God's own heart. And the reason is because when he failed, as we all do, he turned back to God again and again and again. He never stopped. It's the same attitude you see in Paul. Paul covets. He's despondent. He has a temper. But he keeps coming back to God. That's his default. Always back to God. Uh, Those who keep growing keep coming back, is what I would say. So a great question worth considering as we move on to the next observation is, are you coming back? Again, and again, and again, and again. Are you coming back to God no matter what? When you feel stuck, frustrated, overwhelmed, are you coming back to God? When you think you've kind of just had the biggest success, you think you've got it together, (laughs) coming back to God, saying, God, that's not enough. I know you didn't call me just to success, but to growth. Are you full of a a desire for more, just a holy desire, never giving up, like Paul says in Philippians 3? Um, that's a growth mindset. And that's, 
do you have that? So that's, that's the first observation. Let's move on to the second one um, and why it matters. Because you're probably going, yeah, it's good stuff. But why, why should I be committed to growth? And Paul articulates this in verse 14. So I read verses uh, 11 to 13 of Ephesians 4. Let me draw your eyes back to that. So he talks about this idea of growth, always coming back. And then he says, then, when you have that mindset, here's why it matters, will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Pause there for a second. Uh, So growth, what he says right there is about maturity. So we were born... We continue to grow, but it's, it's not just about physical getting older. It's not just about spiritual years in your belt, right? I'm 20 years into my Christian walk, not a big deal. doesn't matter if you've been here, been in the church for 40 years or a day. doesn't matter. Paul says in, here in Ephesians 4.14, it's about maturity. Without maturity, without growth, you'll never become mature, but we need to become mature. Maturity is what we're made for, not just growth. So the question on the table here is, what is maturity? You need to know what it is. And to understand what it is, Paul gives a picture of what it isn't. In verse 14, he says, we'll, be, we'll no longer be infants. Uh, he gives a, a, a picture of immaturity, which is infancy. Now, a lot of us have infants, and so this is going to resonate deeply. Uh, he talks in, in particular about the vulnerabilities infants face, and there's three of them that he lays out here in Ephesians 4.14. Well, actually, the whole chapter, I'm going to just outline them. Three marks of spiritual immaturity that I think you can kind of correlate to what it means to be mature. So the first one is that spiritual infants or the spiritually immature are not discerning. So verse 14, <laughs> I mean, infants are tossed to and fro by every doctrine, every cunning teaching, okay? And real babies do the same thing. Well, here's some good food. It looks a little bit like a Lego, but whatever. Uh, you know, here's poison. Babies can't discern good, bad food. They just put everything in their mouth. It doesn't matter. Just give it to me. They'll eat it all, right? The, I mean, if you say to a baby, you know, you shouldn't eat poison, don't eat poison, uh, they're not going to comprehend that language, like, until they're dead. They don't know the difference. That's the whole point of those Mr. Yuck stickers, right? Remember those? I don't even know if they use them anymore. Like, or you just keep the poison away from the kid. Like, you keep it in a really high-up cabinet. There's no discernment. Uh, and so Paul says spiritual babies are the same way. And, th- and this is why it's so important as an application for us to be deeply immersed in the Word of God. Uh, it doesn't matter if you read it on your phone or if you have a, a hardcover of the Bible or if you listen to it or whatever, but immersion in the, in the Word of God. It's not just so you can win at Bible trivia some Friday night with your friends, because I know you all love to do that, but it, it's a means to our maturation. It's a key means to that. Okay, so this is like Psalm 1. This is my favorite psalm, and I often go back to it because I want to be reminded of the reason to be in this book. Listen to this. Blessed is the one or the ones, Psalm 1 verse 1, who don't walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of God and who meditate on it day and night. That person's like a tree planted by streams of water, yielding its fruit, growing in season, whose leaves will not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Uh, so what Paul or what uh, 
the author David is saying there in that is that when you delight, when you meditate on the Word of God, you grow. You will grow. And by the way, meditation, I know this is weird for some people, is like not candles and incense. That's not what the Bible's saying. You don't need to do that if that's not your thing, though you can. Meditation is a way of approaching the Word that allows it to function in your life, like, like David talks about there, is, is more than just information. Like, I'm giving you some information this morning. We need to also approach the Word of God in a way that, like a tree, you just suck that Word, it, just draw it up into your life for transformation. That tree has changed. It's growing because of its root system. Uh, try this on. Baron Frederick von Hugel, I read this somewhere, he once compared this idea of meditating on the Word of God in Psalm 1 there to, to letting it, uh, it's like letting a very slowly dissolving lozenge melt imperceptibly in your mouth. So, like, you come to hard candy. I'm the kind of guy who, like, look at the Jolly Rancher. Even the Jolly Rancher. I don't know why I do this. But, like, you just bite down on it and destroy it within seconds. And it's stuck in your teeth and stuff. And you're like, oh, I wish I'd, I wish I'd just sucked on that a little longer. It would have been so good, right? And, yeah, you're with me. Baron Friedrich von Hugel says, what if we came to the Word of God and let it just dissolve in our mouths slowly, imperceptibly? That person, Psalm 1 says, will be fruitful. They'll grow. If you just do that, if you let God's Word come into you slowly, imperceptibly, what Paul is saying, if he's in is you'll grow in your discernment, your ability to understand that Word. So let me ask you, how are you coming to the Word of God? Like, you're all here now. You're coming to it in this way. Awesome. What about tomorrow? And then Wednesday, hump day, Friday. You come into a, a, a difficult situation this week. Are you letting God's Word, are you being immersed in God's Word so that it's, are you letting it melt in your mouth so that it'll, it'll grow you up, give you discernment in whatever you're facing? Whether it's a, a job decision, a parenting decision, a decision with a friendship, whatever it is. Uh, so that's, that's a first mark of spiritual maturity is the lack of discernment. And the first mark of maturity is just the ability to discern the Word of God, okay? Here's the second thing Paul says. Spiritual infants are incredibly self-centered. And this is from uh, up in the chapter that Libby read, chapter, verse 2, 4 verse 2. It's probably the reason he says this. Paul says this, Be completely humble and gentle, be patient, and bear with one another in love. So he's, he's concerned about their maturity, and, and thus he says those things, uh, probably because they're not being that way. <laughs> like they're not being humble. They're not being patient with each other. They're not loving each other the way they would, not being gentle. Uh, so and let me key it on humility. Do you know the definition of humility? That's one we often like desire more of, right? Uh, we often think of it as sort of like thinking less of ourselves, right? Self-deprecation. C.S. Lewis once said that that's not humility. Just think, like thinking more lowly of yourself, just being a humble person. He says it's not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Uh, Tim Keller wants to call it blessed self-forgetfulness. If you could just forget that you're here right now, look around the room, and be in awe of all these people and that God's working in them, and be in, like, desire to know what God's doing in their lives, not worried about the failure you just failed and the grass you need to mow and the meal you need to make, forget about it. That's the road to humility. And, and we all know this about babies, that babies are utterly self-centered. 
Like, you remember those, if you have preschoolers, or if you had preschoolers, remember those play dates? Like, share your toys. You can't just grab somebody else's food, like it's their food. Maybe this is you too, like, <laughs> I'm reminding you of those, those good things. So you have to train young people that there are other human beings in the world <laughs> and that their desires are important. Like, that's not something we're born with, usually. Uh, and, and by the way, not just babies. Let's just say it's true of all of us. So social media is a good thing. But one of the things that's the downside of social media is this thing they're calling, psychologists and sociologists are calling the narcissism epidemic. And uh, I mean, this is why the millennial generation, a lot of millennials here, and it's, by the way, it's not just millennials, not picking on you, has been given this moniker of Generation Me. Uh, Eugene Peterson says, of all of us, not just millennials, generally across Western society, the new trinity, not Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you know what it is? My holy needs, my holy wants, my holy desires. Me, 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 me. And then you, and then God, and then the church, you know? And so in general, many of us want, want what we want, what we want, and we want it now. I mean, how many watched the release of the Apple iPhone 8 and the 10 this week? Come on, some of you. I mean, like, were you so bummed when Tim Cook got up there and said, yeah, it's now $9.99? You're like, oh, bummer, I can't buy that now. Like, I was so excited about that. Uh, and then I, this, the bomb at the end, I was like, well, some of you are going to buy it anyway, so it's okay. But at least let me play with it. Uh, like, we are so, like, I want what I want what I want, and I want it now. And when I can't have it, I'm, I'm just bummed, right? And physical babies are the same way. Spiritual babies are too. Like, spiritual babies are always thinking about themselves and about, like, you get your feelings hurt. You're conscious of what other people are thinking about you right now. Uh, like, it's not fair that they're getting the iPhone 10 and I'm not, you know? Uh, you can't take criticism. Like, you can't admit what you've done wrong. You're concerned about your image, right? You're, and so, let me ask you these questions. How do you handle disappointment? when your feelings are hurt, where does your heart go? Where does your head go? When you don't get the next thing, you don't feel like you're keeping up with the Joneses, so to speak, where's your thought life? Where does your spiritual life go? And if you, if you, if you can't concentrate on God and His goodness, it's a good sign that you're still a spiritual infant. Uh, good way to tell if you're stuck there. And, and Paul would say, hey, be more humble. Think less of yourself. Think more on God. He'll draw you into maturity, okay? So that's the second thing. Spiritual infants are very self-centered. They're also, they lack discernment. Here's the last thing in this section. They're not steady. So they're back and forth and back and forth. Ephesians 4.14 will no longer be infants tossed back and forth and then talks about the lack of discernment. I was down in Oregon over Labor Day with some friends here and a few others from our church uh, at Washington Family Ranch. There's a big Young Life camp down there. And we were taking care of, we we're doing the kids, the children's ministry. So like three-year-olds through like high school, right? And Elizabeth and I, um, we were the newbies. So we got the three to five-year-olds, which is fine. Man, I was so glad I'm a three to five-year-old anymore. But like, um, I have such an incredible respect for Becca and like Lauren, who's wor working as Becca this morning and our children's teams back in the back. Um, because like, We'd have them for an hour or two hours, and like every five minutes, it's like, remember that dog Doug from Up? Like, it's like squirrel, you know? And you're like, no, 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 we had a like 15-minute lesson for you. 
Now I've got to think of three more, you know? It's impossible. Like, they, they completely, they're so back and forth and not, they're not steady infants are, right? How many of you know what I'm talking about? A few of your parents, yeah. One of the other things I noticed is, 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 is that um, later in life, uh, what, if, you can, if you continue to have that mindset, I mean, it works for Doug in Up, it works for an infant, but it doesn't work for a 44-year-old sitting at a desk given a job to complete. It doesn't work for a dad or a mom necessarily to have that sort of an attention span. It's like, you know, you're not going to get very far if you're continuing to say, what's next? What's the next thing? What's the new church? You know, what's that next city I can go live in? If you're not committed to sort of, as Eugene Peterson calls, a long obedience in the same direction. And Paul says, well, if you lack that, you're probably a spiritual infant. Um, so, for example, if you come to a church service like this and you're getting, you get incredibly convicted by something I happen to say, like you literally feel like I'm talking right to you. You know, I happen to make eye contact with you a few times, which is a mis- I mean, accident. I just do that. And, you know, like I'm talking about a small group or I'm saying, hey, give more. And you're like, whoa, I, I, I'm really stingy. I need to give more. Or I need to serve and you, I need to sign up to serve, right? And he, he must be talking to me. He must know, right? And then you go home. And you know, you know what I'm talking about. And like, you're watching the Seahawks game or whatever, and you're like, what was that thing that the pastor was saying to me earlier today? I can't remember. Well, I'll just go back next week, right? That's a sign of infancy. If you can't, if, you, if you're feeling convicted and you're like, I, you can't follow through on that conviction. If you, if you can't continue that long obedience in the same direction, if you constantly need God to intervene and come up with a, some miraculous answer to prayer, some inspirational moment on Sunday. If you need that, you're probably an infant, okay? Let's put it positively because I'm being kind of negative. If you're a person of of spiritual maturity, you're very astute in the scriptures, you're theologically very wise and discerning, you're not self-centered, you're not, you're never thinking of yourself, you're serving others, you're quick to admit that you're wrong, you're not self-conscious, you're not getting your feelings hurt, Uh, you're a person that's steady, who's not up and down, you make, you make decisions and you follow through on them, you know how to handle suffering, you know how to continue to be faithful and in your, you have endurance and you're obedient. Quick show of hands. <laughs> Real quick. Did that describe anyone in the room? There was a couple of you that described, okay, well, I'm impressed. I mean, maybe a few of those things, but all those things. If those are the criteria for maturity, I'm guessing not one of us can say, yeah, I got it all, locked and loaded. Which is why Paul says, well, in Ephesians 3, or Philippians 3, even he doesn't have it all together. Like, I haven't attained it. And this is the author of the majority of the New Testament. Think about that for a second. Like, I'm not mature. And by the way, that's not the goal. We need to be maturing, but the goal was growth. Remember this? Let me take you back to the beginning. Paul possesses a growth mindset, which has a couple of very practical applications for our community things I want to just invite you to hold in tension because I know I loaded a bunch on you about immaturity and like now I need to go do all these things, right? A couple of things I want to just kind of invite you to hold in tension. The first is this. Don't be shocked by the immaturity of others. Okay, so you were tempted to raise your hand when I listed that stuff and then you look over next to you like, wow, that person's not mature. Don't be shocked specifically about other Christians. Like I know this is hard for us. We come to church we're floored about how immature people are, how, they, how thick they are. Like, man, 
they, they, they park and they double park, you know, those kinds of things. Don't be shocked about that. Like, here's what I want you to consider, spiritually speaking. Every church, including our church, Bethany Northeast, is going to be filled with spiritual infants, three to five-year-olds. We lack discernment. We have incredibly short attention spans. Um, we're, we're all over the place. Put more vividly and bluntly, we are, Tim Keller once said it this way, we're, full, we're a church full of poopy diapers. <laughs> and literally we are. I've got, we've got a few in this room. But that's not what I'm talking about. Here's what I'm saying. Uh, don't be surprised when people in this community that you know act immature. Uh, you're not saved by being mature. You're not getting saved by doing the right things. Coming to church on Sunday, showing up at the Bible study, having XYZ scripture memorized. You're not saved by having it all together. You're saved by grace, grace alone, the work of Jesus on the cross. The difference between a one-day-year-old and a 30-year-old is enormous, but the difference between, and the difference between an immature and a mature Christian are vast. But God, and He desires maturity for us, but it's, a, it's through a lifelong journey of growth. And we're not all at the same place in that journey. That's why Paul's willing to admit his immaturity and say, you know what, I'm not there yet. I hope I get there, this side of heaven. But thanks be to God that His grace is abundant, that I can, I've not been out of shape when people in the church are just kind of acting stupid because it's about the grace of Christ. We're saved by grace. Here's the other thing to hold in tension. Don't put up with immaturity in yourself. So don't be surprised if people around you are acting immature but don't put it up with it in yourself, okay? Like, don't be, don't be unsurprised when you see it, but when you see it in yourself, again, Paul in Philippians 3 has a holy discontent. I don't want to stay where I'm at. I, I want to continue to grow, which means, yeah, I've got a lot, I've done a lot, but also, man, I've failed a lot. And I don't want to stay there. I don't want to be stuck there. He's not conceited, nor is he complacent. He has the life of God in him, and he's, he's saying, God has drawn me forward with His grace, but He's also empowered me to get past my failures, past my shame, past my insecurity and my guilt. God's power fills me and brings me forward, okay? So don't settle for where you are, whether it's good or bad. Grow. In fact, Jesus has this, there's a story of Jesus coming to this man who's been paralyzed. Remember this, uh, I can't remember which gospel's in, but he's by the pool of Bethsaida, Bethsaida, and Remember what he, he says to this, this guy? He says, Jesus, heal me. And what does Jesus say to him? Do you want to get well? And the guy's, you can see the guy nodding. And what does Jesus say next to him? Get up. <laughs> Do you want to get well? Do you want to grow? Jesus would just stand here and say, grow. I'm, I've filled your life. I've given you power to grow. Grow. Just begin to grow. So, in order for that to make sense to you, you, we have to have this last little point here, which is how growth happens. It matters immensely so that we'll be mature people. How, how can that happen? And Paul gives some really practical ways that it looks in Ephesians 4, and which is one reason I picked it. So there's a few of them. The first is speaking the truth in love, okay? And I love this. I talked a lot about it last week under this um, rubric of, of gathering, but Ephesians 4.15, he says, Instead, it's con contrasting this infancy community to a maturity community or a mature community. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who's the head, that is Christ. So right there, the first way growth happens is just literally learning to speak truth in love. 
And let me just say again, you're not going to grow unless we're plunged in, we're, we're going to only be growing if we're plunged into a community of people where there's this perfect balance of, of truth and love, okay? So it means absolute honesty, saturated with sweetness and tenderness, but also candor and compassion, okay? Uh, so think about this. It's kind of contrasting ideas. How deadly love is without truth. Like you've got relationships. We, have, we live in Seattle, really tolerant, you know? Your truth, whatever you think, man, you do it. You do you, I'll do me, right? We do that all the time, and love without truth is deadly. When you say, well, I love people, but I don't want to tell them the truth because that might hurt their feelings. We might have a, a relationship anymore. If you do that, you're not loving them because <laughs> you're, you're not telling them the truth. It's, tr- love without truth is, is deadly. And do you know why? We, we can't grow, we can't know ourselves unless somebody from the outside of us person with another eye or another ear tells us some critical information. When I was a new pastor back in Pennsylvania, well, even so a little bit here, you guys have been really gracious, but about, it was about 10 years ago, or not quite 10 years ago then, but 10 years ago when I started, I get all this feedback, and a lot of it's been good from speaking, but some of it's not so good. Um, loved your sermon, but could you slow down a little bit, you know? Or you kind of drop your, the ends of your sentences and I can't hear it all. Or, you know, I loved everything but this one little illustration you gave, you know, and it kind of didn't work. And I'll get that, you know, and, I, and then I'd be like, at home, do I really speak too fast? Do I mumble? Did I say that? So I get uncomfortable and, and you can imagine how that destroys somebody. So what I would do in the early days, I stopped doing this, is I'd get the, I'd get the recording. It used to be on like a CD, remember those? And um, some of you know what tapes are. But so I get the recording, and now I just go online, but I, I'd listen to myself speak, and oh, it was so uncomfortable. Like, I hated it. Who wants to listen to themselves speak, right? Nobody. And that's the point. You've never, unless you've done that, listened to yourself speak. I learned this from my son, Elliot. He got it from, like, Wild Kratz or something, but, um, which is a show on, like, PBS, I think. But we, we all hear ourselves, even right now, I'm hearing myself through what? The bones in my neck. That's how I'm hearing myself. I'm not hearing myself through my ears. I'm not actually hearing myself. And the point here is, is if you really want to understand who you are, you really want to see yourself for what you're doing and hear yourself for what you're saying, you have to have outside perspectives, outside voices, outside eyes and ears. And the key is that if, if you live in a place where people love you and won't tell you the truth about yourself, would never bother to, to sort of hey, you know, you speak too fast. You know, uh, would, ever, would never bother to say something about your consumption habits or your sexual ethic or the way you, you maybe aren't able to forgive people. Uh, if we can't speak truth into each other's lives, we won't, we won't grow. We need people like that. But here's the other thing. Truth without love is deadly. Love without, tru- or love without truth is deadly. But truth without love is deadly. Do you know why? Like, when you tell people the truth and they're, you're abrasive, you're just cold, you know, just, hey, I'm just giving you the cold hard truth right now, just the facts. You talk too fast, you know? Uh, what happens to that person? Like if I didn't have a relationship, say with Adam, gives me feedback on something I said this morning. We have a good relationship. Guess what's going to happen? I'm just giving you the facts, Jack. I'm going to become cynical I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hard myself to that. I'm not going to listen to him anymore. There's a relationship that goes into that. So love without, or truth without love is, is, doesn't work. 
uh, I'm just not going to listen. So just like the one won't lead to transformation, so the other won't also. You have to have them both together. And unless they're both together, truth and love, unless we're plunged in a community like that, speaking truth and love, we, won't, we just won't grow. We need that, okay? Uh, here's the second thing. Uh, so speak the truth in love. And the question I guess I have for you is, are you, do, you have a, do you have people in your life that are willing to do that? And I'll, I'll get to that in our response here. Uh, the second thing here is, is, Paul says, become the mature body of him who's the head. Okay, so there's be a community that speaks the truth in love. And then this is really nuanced, which is why I want to unpack it. Become the mature body of him who's the head. So, and he says, from him, the whole body's held together by every supporting lim- ligament, every part doing its work, okay? So here's the deal. Paul says that there's no growing in maturity, spiritual maturity, as an individual, just by working yourself into some sort of spiritual kind of fervor. You can't do it by yourself. It, it's through deep involvement in a church, a community of people, and through increasing unity and in the closeness of these relationships that you'll grow. That's the, that's the only way you'll grow. Uh, so let me just show you why, that, why that's the case. Look how he defines maturity. Until we all reach unity in the faith uh, and the knowledge of the Son of God, we be, will become mature. How do you become mature? Through unity. That's what Paul says. That, 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 that people in the church, the more and more you're involved in their lives, uh, the more you become one, the more unified you become, and the more mature and the more you grow. We, so we need each other. I read a great illustration of this on NPR recently uh, about these tree neighborhoods. Have you guys maybe seen this one? These, yeah, so trees. Uh, this is really cool. I can even send it to you if you're curious. You've seen forests and you have all these individual trees. They've done research that shows that actually trees are more like neighborhoods where the, the roots, when they dig them up, you'll see even on the surface of the soil, these fungi strands, the white, you've seen this in the forest. That's actually trees spreading their nutrients to each other. And sometimes even these trees will share circulatory systems where the, the roots will kind of grow together and they'll, they're giving each other like a permanent transfusion of whatever they're, they're drawing from the soil. And so the author of this isn't talking about Ephesians. They're just saying, trees need each other. Why do you think it'd be different for us? Like, why do you think you could just go home, do it every week by yourself? When Paul even seems to say, it's through unity you're going to grow. And by the way, there's a shadow side to this. I'm just going to say real quick, here's the shadow side. This kind of life support system, this author in this article says, here's a quote, trees are horribly intermingled sometimes which means they can also transfer diseases to each other. Um, sometimes to a ca- like catastrophic effect. Like a tree could be super healthy and suddenly get really sick because a tree a quarter mile away is spreading some sort of disease to it. And this is why Paul, if you look, look at Ephesians 4, later in the chapter, we didn't read this, he says, put off falsehood. Speak truth. In your anger, don't sin. Don't let, don't let the sun go down in your anger. I mean, how many of us have done that, Right? Connection spreads health, but it also can spread disease. And so in our community, we can be destroyed by gossip, divisiveness, sarcasm, exclusive attitudes. So we need to come to community with eyes wide open and also with sort of a a heart that says, uh, man, are any of those things present in our community? What kind of work do we need to do around those so we can be a healthy 
a neighborhood of not trees, but people. Uh, and, and here's the last thing I'll say, and we'll be done. Uh, the reason this is important about unity, it's, it's, a, it's kind of a word that feels a little anemic, like it doesn't have much to it. Paul says, he says, when you're unified, when we grow in, the, when we grow in faith, become mature, we become more like Christ. Him who's the body, no longer infants. Uh, one body. He's making a point there because if you're immature, verse 14, you're infants. You're just a bunch of little, like you can see the image, a bunch of little babies on the ocean in canoes. Like, beautiful image, right? The, the, here's the idea. When you're mature, you're a person. One body, one person, with Christ as the head. Think of that for a second. The more one we become, the more like God we become. Isn't that amazing? I mean, God is an infinite community of persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, always united indivisible. And what Paul is saying, I think it's a profound opportunity for us to say, the more we're connected to each other with Christ as our head, the more we experience the life of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the more we become like God, the more we reflect the power of God. Um, So what does it mean for God to be a good father? (laughs) We sing the song. What does it mean for Christ to be our brother and our friend? What does it mean for us to receive the help of the Holy Spirit? You know, we, we pray for the Spirit to give us revelation and healing. It, it means the basic principle is this, in this is when we're in community, that's how we experience those things. When we are connected to each other, when, it, as Paul says, we're, we're using our gifts inside of communities to serve others. Uh, when we're like ligaments, <laughs> I love that idea of supporting each other. Not doing all the work, but also supporting some of the work. That's when we understand what it means to be a follower of Christ. And so here's the, the invitation I want to give us this morning. Uh, sort of an inventory for you as you're thinking about, am I growing? Um, three questions to, to reflect on. Sort of a spiritual inventory. Here's the first question. Are you, like, take these out every six months and think to yourself, am I humbler? Am I more peaceful? Am I loving people more? Ephesians 4, 1, 2, 3. Am I, am I those things more now than I was six months ago? Okay? I mean, you should be able to answer if you're growing, yes, yeah. Thinking less of myself. I'm serving people more. There's more peace in my life. Something's happening. Second, here's the second question. Every six months, do I have people in my life, somebody in my life, that do I have the courage to go to somebody and say, will you tell me if I'm more humble, more peaceful, more like a better servant, <laughs> like if I'm growing? And I give you, I give you permission to say no. Because <laughs> that won't be easy. Like if you went to somebody, if I went to Adam and said, hey man, have I grown? And he says, no, <laughs> sorry man. <laughs> That's going to be really hard for me. And do I have the courage to allow Adam to speak into my life, okay? So here's the last thing. Are you part of a group of people where that's being done, okay? So it doesn't just happen one-to-one. I've used Adam a few times. I'm in actually a group with him and a couple other guys. And though we don't do it perfectly, uh, sometimes we're off and then we're back on, um, we do that with each other. There's vulnerability, 
There's truth-telling. There's truth in love, I should say. And we're part of that together. And so what I want to invite us to do as we respond today is uh, if you want to grow, like if you believe it's possible to grow, uh, we have this, it's going to be on the screen, go ahead and put it up, this little survey. And I think we're going to put that link up, Don. I'm going to send it out via email. This is an opportunity to take your phone out. This is just a group's survey, okay? And what we're wanting to do uh, with Jenny's leadership is our desire in, at Bethany is that every one of you is connected to some sort of smaller community beyond Sunday where that truth and love can be told, okay? And so what I'd love to, we'd like to get a baseline. And so if we would love to invite you to fill this survey out for us, which will ask you things like, hey, are you already in a group? Are you not in a group? Do you want to be in a group? Those kinds of things. We want to just figure out where people are at, and then we'll move forward from there. So I'm going to email this out later today, and, and then we're going to invite us into a season of growth. Okay? Let's take a moment to, take, uh, to pray. Uh, Jesus, thanks for the invitation to grow. Um, but we confess, I confess uh, with friends here that it's not easy to grow. Um, the image of the tree being planted by waters doesn't necessarily describe all of us. Some of us, God, feel like the waters are dry and we, we are feeling just kind of empty right now. Um, we feel isolated and we feel alone. And so for those of us for whom that's true, God, I pray for your waters to rise in our lives. Jesus, you said you are living water. Um, and that those of us that drink from you um, will never thirst. And so, God, would you, f- would you fill our need for water right now? We thirst for you so that we might grow. Thank you for those in this room who are drawing deep from you, who are s- just, who I look around and are um, filled with strength and courage and vitality. Uh, so I pray for those in this room that their vitality would spread like that, that article their roots would grow wide and connect with others in this community. Uh, there would be healing. Uh, there would be forgiveness. Uh, and we'd see you show up in this season. We want to know you, Jesus. So would you draw us to yourself now as we respond? Pray in Christ's name. Amen.